0: The story you're about to hear was told to me in the strictest of confidence. Certain names, dates and locations have been changed to protect that confidence. Events that feature in this story may be part of the public record. If you believe you recognise any of the people, places or events that appear in this story, ask you not to reveal any information publicly, out of respect for the subject's right to remain anonymous. My name is David Paul Nixon, and this is the New Ghost Stories Podcast, where we delve into the New Ghost Stories archive to hear new and classic cases of the supernatural. Stories that could be delusions, lies, fantasies, or perhaps even the real thing. Just don't make your mind up until you've listened. Why do people do this? Why do they agree to take part in the New Ghost Stories project? And why do they put up with all the things that I put them through? I can be a demanding investigator. Some people who come to me with their accounts expect that I will simply listen and believe what they say, then go away and share a written account with them within the week. Of course, it's not actually like that. I don't accept things at first value. I am willing to extend the benefit of the doubt, but not based on nothing. I want the subject to share some elements of proof and substantiation, and not everyone is comfortable accepting this burden. Some don't think they should have to provide it. Some simply don't know how to. When I first started collecting these new ghost stories, I had some rather lofty goals. I wanted to investigate and gather evidence because I thought that I might be able to find some real, convincing evidence of the supernatural, cases and events that might cause even the sceptical to reconsider their stance. Considering that people have studied this subject for over a hundred years, this, on reflection, was rather arrogant on my part. But as time has gone on, I found myself less concerned with trying to prove the existence of ghosts and spirits and the beyond. Today I'm more focused on the human experience and what our encounters with the strange and unexplained say about us and the world that we live in today. Because ghost stories are always as much about the living as they are about the dead. That's why I'm still doing this, but why do other people choose to contribute? If you're looking for someone to believe you, you may get that from sharing an account. It's not guaranteed, of course. I do turn down many more cases than I accept. Despite my focus changing, I still haven't changed my criteria for evidence or the way that I handle cases. It would feel like cheating if I didn't ensure that every subject was honest, that they genuinely believed what they said was true, and that it could have actually happened. I know that for some, The reason they speak to me and gain some relief from contributing to new ghost stories is because they feel a need to confess that their supernatural encounter represents for them a traumatic kind of secret that has been a great burden to carry. It weighs heavily upon them. And there is something about us as human beings. We have a need to unburden, to share, to get things off our chest. It eats away at us to harbour a secret, in ways that are both obvious and subtle. You might think that over time it would be easier to carry a secret. That's not always the case. For some the burden just gets heavier. There is a desperate need to speak out, to let it go. And I think that most of us have a need to be understood, to make sense of what has happened to us. For some, there is also a need to be forgiven. To prove that when something terrible happened, that it maybe wasn't all their fault, that they just made a mistake, they want perhaps to relieve some of their guilt, or to maybe take responsibility so others will no longer feel responsible. I have seen it with people. A sudden burst of raw emotion. The release of just letting it all out, it's quite something to witness. Sometimes I do get to feel a little like a therapist, perhaps even an exorcist. Sometimes after they've gone through with sharing the account, people don't always want me to publish. That's a little frustrating, but I do understand. For others it becomes part of letting the story go. With a cloak of anonymity, they can seek empathy from a neutral audience, rather than those that might judge them too harshly, whose feelings are still raw. So I suppose what better time to do that than as the year comes to a close. Today's story is a personal exorcism set at Christmas, where secrets and resentments going back decades finally boil over leading to a tragic climax that will change one family forever. But no one has ever known why or how it happened. Until now. I will take a moment before we begin to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. I hope it goes a lot more calmly and uneventfully than this one. This is New Ghost Stories case number 480, and it's called How I Ruin Christmas and you can hear it in full, uninterrupted, after these messages. It was the night before Christmas, but nothing was still and nothing was quiet. There were presents scattered all the way from the back door to the Christmas tree. Cookies lay in a puddle of spilt milk and broken glass on the kitchen floor. Me, my dad, my mum and my brother... We were all awake and in the hall. My brother was white as a sheet. My mother was on the telephone, speaking to the emergency services. My dad was on his knees, on the carpet. Beneath him was my nan, shaking, unable to speak. For years I've kept the true story secret. To this day the rest of my family have no idea what really happened and why it all happened. It was only supposed to be a joke. The story starts just a week or so before Christmas. I was about eight years old. Dad had come home from work, and we could tell by the look on his face that something terrible had happened. Mum was making dinner in the living room. They were having the kitchen refitted, so she'd made a space in the bay window where she could cook with a range of expensive appliances. She'd been a chef once. That was why the kitchen was taking so long to finish. She was being very specific. She saw the look on Dad's face and said, Oh God, what's wrong? He took her into the bedroom. So severe was the bad news that he closed the living room door behind him. And the door to the bedroom too. It didn't work, obviously. It just flagged to me and Max that this might be something worth listening to. We crept up to the bedroom and Max put his ear to the door. What is it? I demanded. After a moment, he said, It's Bud." What is? He took his ear away and looked at me grimly. We're spending Christmas at Nan's. i pushed him aside and put my ear to the door. I didn't want to believe it. It couldn't be true. What I heard was that Dad had made a terrible mistake when he was telling Nan about the kitchen. Nan had said we could always spend Christmas at hers if it wasn't finished. Dad thought everything was going to be done in time, so he felt safe saying yes. Oops. We could have spent Christmas at my parents, Mum was complaining. Their place isn't really big enough, he said. But you didn't even ask. I thought the kitchen would be done by now. We're paying them to get it right, how we asked for it. How you asked for it. Just say we have other plans, that I want to go over to my parents instead. But I've already said, just say no to her. For once in your life, just say no. We arrived at Nan's on the afternoon of the 23rd. It was pouring it down and we were all in a bad mood. We'd been to a nativity play that afternoon. My cousins Rachel and Alfie had been shepherds. They were on stage for all of ten minutes, but the performance went on for nearly two hours and had been followed by a sermon. The hall was freezing and the pews were really uncomfortable and we hadn't been able to sneak off after without saying hello to a whole load of people. On top of that, Max had drawn on my face the night before while I was asleep because of a big fight we'd had. He'd written, Brain Dead, on my forehead and I hadn't noticed for a long time after I got up, not until my dad saw and laughed at me. I was so pissed off. I picked up a shoe and I chucked it at Max, but I missed and took a big chunk out of the bedroom wall instead. This had put me in the doghouse, and allowed Max to get off scot-free. Nan welcomed us inside. She gave Dad a hug, and landed the first blow. You've been going out for dinner a lot, haven't you? Nan has the sunniest attitude. She'll cut you down to size in the brightest, jolliest way possible. "'You didn't have to bring all this food,' she said to Mum, after inflicting a hug on her too. "'Well, I know you've bought the turkey,' said Mum. They'd agreed a supplier during negotiations. "'But I didn't want to burden you with buying everything else.' "'It's not a burden. "'If you're cooking, I should get all the food in. "'It's only fair.' Yes, but there are some things that aren't easy to get locally, mum said, picking up the bags and ending the discussion by walking into the kitchen. I love how much of a perfectionist you are, said Nan, with a straight face. Then she leant down to us. How are my boys? She went in to kiss Max first. We both took it like stoics. They're both in a strop, said dad. You've not been fighting again, I hope said Nan. You know this house is a no-fighting zone. It was his fault. He threw a shoe at me. Boys! It's just two sleeps before Christmas, said Nan. You don't want Santa to turn back and take your presents away, do you? Max gave me a snide little look, and then said to Nan, can I sleep on the airbed? No, it's my turn for the airbed, I cried. There were no beds in the small bedroom. The choice was an airbed or sofa cushions, and the sofa cushions slid across the floor, and you ended up with your bum falling between them. You had it last time, Max insisted. No, you had it last time. Aaron, you had it last time, shouted Mum from the kitchen. Pah! Max laughed, and then shot up the stairs. You always take his side, I complained, going up after him. Don't run up the stairs, Dad shouted. Me and my brother weren't getting on. He was only two years older, but he'd suddenly grown up a lot. He wasn't into the toys or games that I was into. A few months ago, we'd been doing all the same stuff together. Now everything I liked was stupid and for babies. By the time we'd gotten back downstairs, Mum and Dad were at the kitchen table, and Nan was serving out the sandwiches. Nan thought sandwiches were our favourite food. This was because of a strategic ploy by Mum. Not even Nan could get sandwiches wrong. She was clearly making an effort. The sandwiches were served on her nice china, cut in precise little triangles. She offered three different types of crisps, separated into little bowls, and there was a large salad bowl with wooden tongs ready for serving. Mum took one taste of the salad dressing and never touched another leaf. Dad told Nan about our cousins and the play. Her response was, Oh, that's so nice. I think it's really wonderful that they've taken the time to get them involved in their local church. Sensitive to a potential slight, Mum said, Do you get to go to church much yourself? Well, I'm getting on, dear, she said. It's hard to get out as much as I used to. Did you used to go a lot? Mum persisted. Where's the mayonnaise? Dad jumped in. Oh yes, it's in the cupboard, Nan said, pulling a chair back. No, no, I'll get it, Dad said. He stood up and winced suddenly, reaching down to his knee. Are you okay? said Mum. Yeah, it's still a bit stiff from the church pew, he said. I didn't know you still had trouble with that, said Nan. It was a dislocation and broken in three places he said, limping a little to get to the cupboard, stretching his leg when he got there. They said back then it might not ever get fully better. It's only a little stiff now and then. I'm lucky it's healed as well as it has. You see, boys, said Nan, this is why it's so important to keep your things tidy. It wasn't my fault, Dad said, returning to the table. Roger didn't leave it on the floor, Nan said. He pushed it across the floor, all the way from your bedroom. It was a toy car you tripped on, wasn't it? said Mum, before biting into a BLT. Matchbox Lamborghini Countach, said Dad. He was playing with it in the hall, said Nan. Not that day, it was the day before. I built a whole racetrack going down the stairs with a jump out the front door, he said to me and my brother, to our mutual disinterest. I was tidying all that away that same morning. Your toys were everywhere. What happened, Dad said to us, was that my dad, your grandpa, came into my room looking for his batting gloves because he knew I'd used them. And when he was searching around, he tipped over my box with the cars and the Lamborghini Countach rolled out onto the landing. You left it there, said Nan, shaking her head. I didn't leave it there. He protested. You did! How many times do you have to be told? This, kids, is why you've got to be careful on the stairs, said Dad. If you trip and fall down, you could dislocate your knee and break your leg badly. It wouldn't have happened if you'd been more tidy and watched where you were going. I interrupted them with an urgent tale of injustice. No, you've had three peanut butter already. No, this is my second. You've had three. Max protested. Boys, but it's not fair! He's had all the salt and vinegar crisps too! I pointed to a near-empty bowl. I think I saw you take three peanut butter ones, said Mum. No! I saw you, Aaron. You always take his side! There's plenty of other sandwiches you can choose from, said Nan. I don't want other sandwiches! I was being such a brat. ''That is enough,'' commanded Mum. ''You won't be getting anything if you carry on like that.'' Nan was taken aback by my outburst. She sat up straight in a chair and raised her eyebrows. She added some more salad to her plate and said, ''You boys are lucky. When I was a girl, if me or my brothers argued with my parents, my father used to lock us in the cupboard, under the stairs, in the dark, until we stayed quiet.'' Nan put the salad tongs back in the bowl during the uncomfortable silence that followed. "'Well, we don't do that sort of thing anymore,' Mum said. "'Well, me and my brothers never used to fight,' Nan said quietly. She stood up and started to clear away some of the empty plates. Mum muttered, "'I never let one of my boys fall down the stairs and break a leg.' "'What was that?' "'What are we having for dessert?' cried Dad. Nan turned to the fridge. Angel delight for the kids, of course. And I have a Christmas pud for us. I'll need to pop it in the microwave for a few minutes. Without being asked, Mum was dealt out a third of the pudding. Worse than that, Nan suddenly appeared by her side with a can of squirty cream and emptied out so much on top that the pudding nearly disappeared beneath it. Before we get started, said Nan to Dad, We should raise a glass to your father while we're all together. She topped up mum and dad's glasses with red wine and then stood behind her chair. She lifted her glass. To Roger, she said, looking straight into the living room. Without standing, mum and dad raised their glasses a little awkwardly and twisted in their seats to look into the living room too. Me and my brother mumbled along without really knowing what was going on. Then Nan sat back down placed her glass on its coaster and said, Bon Appetit! Mum stared at her cream-covered microwavable dessert and then looked pleadingly at Dad, but he'd already started. He was avoiding her gaze as he shoveled a steep spoonful down. I was at the top of the stairs, outside Mum and Dad's room. I could hear her kicking off. Why'd you let us say things like that to us? I don't think she means to be rude. She knows exactly what she's doing. She means well. God, I hate it when you say that. She's from a different time. Her and my father were social climbing types. All that hyacinth bouquet stuff really mattered. Appearances, being a certain way, going to certain places. It was important. That's not an excuse. She can't stand anyone doing anything different to her you're quite particular yourself dad sighed I don't know how Roger put up with her mum went on well dad drank do you want me to drink too I just wish you'd stand up for yourself just sometimes the conversation went quiet the next thing I heard was the door opening I sprung to my feet as dad walked onto the landing what are you doing out here nothing I said Were you listening to us? No? I just wanted to get away from Max. He groaned. What is it now? He took the good pillow, the one filled with all the little soft balls. There are other cushions, aren't there? But if he gets the good mattress, then I should get the good pillow. He just took it off me and laughed when I said I wanted it back. He put his hand over his eyes. You can't always get what you want, Aaron. He looked tired and defeated. You have to compromise sometimes. I stared sulkily at the carpet. I'll talk to him, he sighed. But you need to get into bed. I need the toilet first. Fine, go. By the time I'd gotten back to the bedroom, the pillow with all the polystyrene balls inside had been returned to my sofa cushion bed. I climbed into my sleeping bag. I do not want to hear another word, said Dad, closing the door and turning off the light. You grass, hissed my brother. Leave me alone. You're pathetic. You're pathetic. Go to sleep. For a moment I thought he was going to let it go. But then he whispered, You're in trouble now. I bet Santa doesn't like grasses. I ignored him. You're on the naughty list. You're on the naughty list. I bet you won't get any presents brain dead kept on ignoring him for once it actually worked and he fell asleep I couldn't sleep though because I was so mad mad at him for being mean mad at him for being a bully but also mad at him for shaking my faith in Christmas you see the day before mum had been tidying the kitchen and I'd managed to cheek my way into getting some cookies before dinner Mum said to me, don't take them all, we're going to need some for Santa, aren't we? My brother heard, and when mum was gone, he said, can't believe you still believe in that. Believe in what? In Santa. You really are brain dead. I'm not brain dead, shut up. I believe in Santa and fairies and unicorns, because my name is Aaron and I'm such a baby and my brain cells have shriveled up and died. Why are you always such an idiot? say that Santa isn't real. And I couldn't. Because I still kind of did believe it, even though I probably knew deep down. But I still wanted to believe in the magic, and to admit it wasn't real would be like admitting I'd fallen for it. It's kind of hard to accept that your parents have lied to you. It also put in jeopardy the odds of us getting a Nintendo Wii for Christmas. Plenty of big hints had been dropped that they were too expensive and too hard to find. So Santa had been basically my only hope. And now Max was messing with my head and shaking my faith in Christmas miracles. This could not go unpunished. I needed to find a way to get back at him. I just didn't have his talent for vicious tricks and taunting. He seemed ready at any moment to come at me with something. I would never think to run inside and lock him outside. Or to move his cup to the edge of the table so he'd knock it over when he reached for something. I was out for revenge. And ironically, it was my brother who gave me the perfect idea for how to do it. But it all got a lot weirder and darker than I ever would have expected. There wasn't much for us to do on Christmas Eve. Dad had escaped for a few hours to get a drink with some old football friends. Me and my brother were in the living room. I was lying on the floor doing a jigsaw of snowmen while my brother was sat across an armchair playing his Sony PSP. In the kitchen, Mum and Nan were not fighting again. I put it in the fridge this morning. It can take up to three days to defrost a turkey, said Mum fretting. It'll be okay. We can put it up against the radiator if it still needs defrosting. You can't do that, Mum snapped. It's food safety, it creates bacteria. It's what we always used to do for the family Christmas. You're lucky you didn't give everyone food poisoning, Mum closed the fridge door. Oh, I miss those family Christmases with Roger, said Nan. He died just before Christmas, you know. Playing the dead husband card again. Mum rolled her eyes and said, we can bathe it in some warm water. That should help it along. That solved that, but it didn't take her long to find other areas where Nan's kitchen fell even further below what she was expecting. You don't have any proper garlic. I use garlic powder for everything, said Nan. It's easy. You don't have to crush or peel it. I need cloves to put in with the potatoes. I was hoping you'd have some semolina too. It gives them extra crunch. Oh, you've got a special way of doing everything. How am I supposed to know? Did I see a grocer amongst those shops a few streets away going east? Asked Mum. I think so, if they're open. Might have to chance it. I'm sure they'll have garlic at least. Everyone always used to like the way I did the potatoes. But you're the boss, Nan smiled defiantly. I've got to pop out myself. I still haven't delivered the last of my Christmas cards. You're going out? Yes, I've got to pop one into next door and a few other houses down the road. She reached for the cards which were tucked behind the bread bin. But you don't get on with next door. That's not true, said Nan, a voice a little high-pitched. Me and Mr and Mrs Leslie have been friends for years. But if we're both out, who's going to watch the kids? Ah, oh, they'll be okay. We won't be gone long. Mum opened her mouth to protest. Five minutes, said Nan, waving the envelopes in front of her. That's all it will take. Mum made a huffing sound, but relented. Kids, she shouted into the living room. I'm popping to the shops, and your Nan is just going down the road. Be good until she gets back, okay? We mumbled something to show that we'd heard them. Nan stepped into the living room. I know you're both going to be good, she said, and she pointed to the mantelpiece to a polished metal vase placed between two silver candlesticks, and next to a picture of Gran and Grandad. It was a tall, polished silver vase with rings of decorative leaves around the base, and beneath the lid on top. "'Because you see up there? Your grandpa's right there, keeping an eye on you,' she pointed down to me. "'And if you don't behave yourselves, he's going to tell me when I get back,' she pointed then to my brother." so make sure you both don't get into any trouble. I had no idea what she was talking about, but I saw that Mum was kind of horrified. She didn't even say goodbye as Nan blustered her out of the front door. I sat and stared up at the mantelpiece, still puzzled. What is Nan talking about? I asked. My brother didn't look away from his PSP. Don't you know anything? Uh, just tell me what's in the vase. He put the PSP down, leaned forward and said menacingly, It's Grandpa. Grandpa's in there. Didn't you hear what she said? I still didn't get it. When Grandpa died, they set his body on fire, and all the bones and bits of him that are left are in that jar. I took a moment to think about this. I turned to take another look at the urn. And said yes you better watch out grandpa will crawl out and come after you when you're not looking he sniggered he picked up his PSP again I went back to my jigsaw but it was pretty hard to concentrate once I knew that the remains of my grandfather were just there inches away I started to feel a presence like a shadow looming over me from behind I really did start to feel like someone was up there, watching me. It didn't help that his picture was up there too, where he was actually looking out at me, or half looking out. Grandpa had a twitch, which always got triggered when someone tried to take a photo of him. His left eye would close and his lips would stretch to the left. He looks mental in almost every photograph I've ever seen of him. I wanted to get up and do my jigsaw somewhere else. If only Max hadn't been there. Couldn't let him see that I was scared. Nan was actually gone for a long time. After a while I got up and went into the kitchen to make myself a drink. I had a sip of that and then went upstairs to the toilet. After finishing and pulling the flush and washing my hands, I went to open the door. When I saw what was standing behind it, I froze to the spot. Lying on the floor, in the doorway, a few inches away, was Grandpa's urn, just standing there, in the hall. My Grandpa's urn, upstairs, in front of me, close enough that I might have walked straight into it and knocked it over. I stared at it. Everything in the house was quiet. I walked around it and had a look into all the bedrooms. I went along the landing and looked down through the rods below the banister to see if anyone was down in the hall below. I went back to the urn. What surprised me most, had me most perplexed, was just how quietly my brother had been. He'd managed to get the urn all the way up there without me hearing him. That wasn't like him at all, he was always thundering around everywhere. This really wasn't one of his best tricks. Did he really think I was this easy to scare? I heard the key in the front door. I picked up the urn quickly and took it into Nan's bedroom. I was surprised by how heavy it was, and terrified I might drop it. Once I'd heard Nan go down the hall, I crept back out onto the landing. Max had wanted to scare me, but now he'd lumped me with the urn. I'd get in so much trouble if I was caught with it. I braced myself to hear Nan flip out over not seeing it on the mantelpiece, but she mustn't have noticed. I tried to listen to what was going on. Nan was saying something to Max, and he was having one of his strops about it. She walked back into the hall, saying, it only take a minute. I just need to get the cellar tape." She was approaching the bottom of the stairs. ''I only need you to hold the paper down for me.'' I had to run back to Nan's room and move the urn quickly into Mum and Dad's room. I only had time to slide in and hide behind the door. She was about to wrap some presents, probably for Mum and Dad. I waited quietly, struggling to stand still behind the door, until she finally came out and headed back downstairs. they do the wrapping in the dining room because of the big table. I went back to the landing and waited until I heard them start carrying the urn i walked so slowly so carefully down the stairs terrified not just about being heard but by the chance i might drop it the pot with my granddad in it i got to the bottom safely i crept past the dining room while nan ordered max to hold a fold down safely in the kitchen across to the living room without any trouble but I couldn't lift the urn onto the mantelpiece myself. I wasn't quite tall enough. I had to drag over a footstool. I leant down to pick up the urn again, but instead of climbing up to put it back, I suddenly had a thought, and once I'd had it, I couldn't help myself. I sat on the footstool and held the urn tight between my knees. The lid was screwed on tight, and it took a bit of effort to loosen it. When it came off, there was a little pop. Some of the ash came out and landed on my trousers. I freaked out, but luckily not enough to spill any more on the carpet. I ran to the kitchen to get a sponge to wipe it off. I put that sponge back on the washing caddy without rinsing it out. There was a noise in the dining room. I rushed back, climbed up on the footstool, ready to put the urn back. But it was a false alarm. I still had time. Time to enact my genius plan. I put the urn down, returned to the kitchen, and came back with a cup and a large spoon. Peace was maintained into the evening. Mum and Nan were able to collaborate on Toad in the Hole. Something simple Nan could cook that Mum could just perfect a little. Nan, I said, putting on my best angelic smile. Can I mix the Angel Delight tonight? Of course you can. Happy to be helped out, she smiled. She went to the cupboard over the kettle. Strawberry or chocolate? I want strawberry, but Max wants chocolate. Boys, she said, shaking her head. They've always got to be different. I fetched the milk from the fridge, and Nan gave me two jugs to whip up the mixtures. I spent a long time mixing them. I was waiting for Nan to be distracted by something I kept mixing until there was laughter from the living room Nan overheard Malcolm and Wise on the telly and stood in the door to watch the cup of ashes was in the cupboard under the sink I snatched it up and tipped it into Max's angel delight then put the cup back in the sink I stirred the ashes madly into the chocolate almost laughing as they were coated brown and disappeared into the mixture. I think they must be stirred well enough now, said Nan returning. Hope so, I grinned. Dinner was served at 7pm in the dining room. Everyone enjoyed the toad in the hole. It was the one and only moment of harmony around the table. By the time we were ready for dessert, we'd come back to in my day territory. Have you seen the Christmas lights down the road, Nan said. We drove that way to show the kids, said Dad. It's even bigger than last year, and it's not just them. One of the houses on Hazel Close has a whole north pole built in the garden. There's a house near us with a glow-in-the-dark Santa and his reindeer on the roof. It's so over the top, she said. People go so overboard at Christmas now. Everyone wants to take photos and put them on the internet. What's wrong with a proper Christmas at home, with drinks and presents and family? She rose to fetch the desserts, and my heart started racing. Just to keep me on edge, she bought out the cheesecake for them first, before finally carrying out both filled-to-the-brim bowls. We have one strawberry and one chocolate, said Nan. "'Strawberry's mine!' I cried out. My brother scowled in disapproval. I just made a little smile as Nan placed the bowls down in front of us. "'Oh, it's all so commercial now,' said Nan, sitting back down. My brother plunged his spoon into the moose. I could barely disguise my glee as he started to shovel it down. I watched his cheek slosh it around and then swallow. I struggled not to burst into laughter. After a few mouthfuls, he said, This tastes funny. I had to bite my lip. You've done something to this, he said to me. I was about to absolutely lose it when Nan stepped in and saved me. I was there all the time. He made it just the way you're supposed to. He frowned, but he went on. He just kept on eating it. I carried on eating mine too. Was the best way to stop myself from cracking up. Just look at how many presents kids get now, said Nan. Nice to spoil them every now and then, said Mum. We never used to get anything like it when I was young. If people do well, it's not unreasonable for them to splash out on the people who matter to them. After all, it's only once a year, said Dad, using his mediation voice again. Max looked unhappy. I started to wonder when I should tell him. I had to do it when we were alone. I might call him a cannibal. Tell him Grandpa was still alive inside him. Ask Max to say hello to him in the toilet when he next went for a poo. And I'd deny it when he went to tell Mum and Dad. I'd swear I was only joking. And they wouldn't think I'd actually done it. But Max would never be sure. He'd always be left wondering whether he'd eaten part of his grandpa or not. He was screwing his face up. I don't want any more. He dropped his spoon in the bowl and took some juice to drink. I know people want to splash out, but when did it all get so competitive? It's all about showing off. I've bought the biggest present. I've decorated the biggest tree. I've got the most lights on my house. It's all so over the top. How should people celebrate Christmas? probed Mum. My brother had a sudden twitch. Then he coughed. It was like a horse sneezing. I watched as the colour slowly drained from his face. He looked miserable. I wondered if he was going to be sick. I carefully moved my chair back to avoid being hit by any splatter. It doesn't have to be so big. You can just have a few presents and then everybody values them even more. It makes it really personal. Max twitched again. It really did seem like he was about to heave. We used to have little parties round here every year. They were a real highlight of Christmas. Not huge ones, just a few friends. Some food, not too much drink. We shared a few presents, nothing expensive, but meaningful. My brother jolted like he'd been hit with a thousand volts. He said in a gravelly, grumbly voice, because you never wanted to share any of the good stuff. I'm not sure whether they really heard him or not. His voice was very different. Perhaps they only caught some of it. No one said anything back to him. They all seemed confused, uncomfortable, like maybe they'd heard him, but he couldn't quite believe it. Much better to move things on. I remember those parties, said Dad, a little nervously. I remember there being more than a little bit of drink. People had a much better attitude to drinking back then, she said. We paced ourselves, kept it sensible. She left the room to fetch the coffees and after eights. Max, what's wrong? said Mum. I'm fine. You're looking pale, are you sure? He ignored her. Nan returned passing the chocolates to Dad to open. Mum took a deep breath and took a sip of her instant coffee. Oh, I miss those parties, said Nan. We had some of your father's work friends over, my little brother and his wife, the Leslies from next door. I thought you didn't get on with the Leslies," said Dad. Why do people keep saying that? We've always been very close. Butter wouldn't melt in your mouth, would it? Max snarled. Max, said Mum shocked. Don't talk to your Nan like that. What's wrong with you? Unrepentant, Max leaned across the table and plucked an after-eight from the tray. Nan was shocked. She seemed genuinely hurt. Sounds like someone wants Santa to turn around and go home tonight. He snorted, put the chocolate mint in his mouth and said, You patronising old baggage. Max, how dare you, cried Dad. "'I'm sick of it!' he said, with his mouth full. He banged his fists on the table. "'Her carrying on, like she's purer than the driven snow!' He stood up and pointed to her. "'No one would think you are a saint if they knew what you were really like and what you'd really done!' "'That is enough!' yelled Dad. He sprang to his feet and then howled in pain as his bad legs seized up. There was a sudden change in Max. He was startled. He was looking around, like he didn't know what was going on. Like he knew he was really in trouble now. Dad limped over to him and grabbed him by the shoulders. You will apologise to your nan right now! The last of the colour left Max's face. I thought he was going to faint. His eyes rolled back, his head went back. Then he threw it forward and vomited all over Dad. Then he fainted. In shock, Dad let Max go, crying, Oh, fantastic! as chunks of sick dribbled down his trousers. Free of his grip, Max dropped slowly to the floor. Max! Max! said Mum, running around to him. I just sat there, mesmerised by the whole thing, and sure whether this was still funny or not. He didn't seem to be unconscious. He groaned and wriggled a little. Mum put a hand on his forehead, then checked his pulse. What has happened to you? I cooked the recipe just how you told me to, cried Nan. You watched me do everything. I didn't do anything wrong. If it was the main course, we'd all be sick, said Dad. Oh, my tummy hurts, Max said. Let's get you upstairs to the bathroom, said Mum. She tried to lift him up, but Max was getting a bit big for that. I can't dear," my leg, said Dad. Mum looked unimpressed. She carried Max out in front of her, like she was lifting him into a bath. She walked very slowly with him into the hall and around to the stairs. Sick bloody all over me, said Dad. Let's get you cleaned off, said Nan, leading him into the kitchen. I was left alone in the dining room, wondering what the fuck had just happened. I'd like to say I felt guilty, but not in the slightest. I was nervously happy about it all. My main worry was about whether I was going to get in trouble and how much trouble I'd be in. I saw his bowl. He'd eaten about two-thirds of the dessert. I needed to get rid of the evidence just in case. I crept into the kitchen, hoping to empty the bowl into the bin before anyone would notice. I was just cleaning up, trying to be helpful. But Dad spotted me. He was scraping vomit off his shirt into the bin with a knife. He said, that's what he was eating, wasn't it? He took the bowl from me. Nothing wrong with yours, he asked. I shook my head like crazy. He lifted it up to his nose. Smells all right. He turned to Nan. Was the stuff out of date? That sort of thing never goes out of date, she said. From upstairs we heard the sound of Max heaving again. Dad examined the moose closely. It's just milk and mixture, isn't it? Shouldn't do him this kind of harm. And then he, and God knows why, he dipped the spoon into the dessert, and he tasted it. With a look of absolute horror, I watched as he swished it around his mouth to examine the taste before swallowing. "Mm, It's a bit lumpy, but it tastes fine to me, he said. Then he did it again. He took a second spoonful for another taste. I couldn't believe it. Maybe he's allergic to something. She did tell me to put some strange things in that toad in the hole. I wanted to be nice, but I don't know why you have to season your batter. We never did it that way growing up. There's nothing wrong with this, Dad said. I thought he was going to have another mouthful. To my relief, he finally tipped what was left in the bin. Max was put to bed after he'd finished throwing up. And had drunk some water. Everyone seemed to agree it must have been an allergic reaction to something, maybe in the Angel Delight, or the food, or maybe Max hadn't washed his hands and had picked up some germs from somewhere. That seemed to be the favoured explanation. It meant that no one had to take any of the blame. The rest of us spent the remainder of the evening watching television. But my eyes weren't on the TV, they were on Dad. I watched him carefully to see if he changed in any way. He watched the TV quietly, like the rest of us, enjoying a few brandies as the night went on. He never said or did anything strange. I started to think maybe they were right about it being an allergy or germs. But when it was time for bed and Dad kissed me goodnight, I couldn't help but notice that he was looking a little grey around the eyes. I almost went to bed without leaving the milk and cookies out for Santa. Mum had to remind me, and I put them out feeling a bit silly, like I was already starting to come to terms with a truth that was already gnawing away at me. Max was fast asleep when I got up to bed. Mum joked it was the first time in Christmas history that one of us went straight to sleep on Christmas Eve. I couldn't sleep. That had nothing to do with the presents. I was starting to really worry. Maybe I'd really hurt my brother. Maybe I'd hurt Dad too. I thought perhaps it was best if I never joked about this and never said anything to either of them about it ever. I tried to think about my presence to cheer myself up, but it didn't work. After a little while, I got up and went to the bathroom. When I walked onto the landing, I heard a bump from downstairs. I knew that sound. It was the noise the back door made when it hit the stopper on the kitchen wall. I crept to the top of the stairs. I heard whispering. Then I heard a thud, followed by what sounded like a bunch of boxes falling on the floor. Then I heard a not-so-whispered, Buck. It sounded like Dad. Sleepily, I crept down a few steps. Keep your voice down said Nan. Didn't realise you were buying all this stuff, said Dad. It's just a few nice extra things. No, I couldn't believe it. Max had been right. It was all a lie. It had always been a lie. I snuck downstairs to make sure. You were only just saying people shouldn't go all out for Christmas. I saw Dad picking up boxes. He'd been carrying a pile of them, but had made a mess of trying to squeeze through the living room door. I've done a favour for you both, actually, said Nan. That's if you haven't broken it. Dad put some of the smaller boxes on the kitchen counter, next to the milk and cookies. What are you talking about? I got them the Nintendo Wii, didn't I? said Nan. You and Linda said you couldn't afford it, so I bought it for them instead. But we already told them they weren't getting one. So it'll be an extra special Christmas surprise, she chuckled. All thanks to Nan. Dad stood in the doorway, carrying a more manageable pile of boxes, but he just stayed there. It was weird. He seemed to have frozen until he let the boxes drop. They slipped from his hands and crashed to the floor. He strode into the living room kicking some of them out of the way. I heard him say, and not quietly, You vicious fucking bitch! I ran down the hall and into the kitchen to watch. You love to cut people down, don't you? He roared. For a moment, Nan was too shocked to speak. You love to put them down? He poked a finger into her chest, so you can put yourself on top. How dare you? She cried, swatting the finger away. I'm your mother! You can't speak to me like that. Who do you think you are? He grabbed her by a cardigan, pulling her close. Who do you think I am? He said. And then I saw it. The twitch. His left eye closed and his lips stretched to the left. The change came suddenly. She was trembling, squirming. Oh God! It can't be! You want to grind him down, don't you? just like you did to me. Let go of me, she pushed him away, but tripped over a present and fell backward onto the sofa. The years I put up with you, put up with your manipulations, your scheming, you pushed me to the brink. How dare you say that to me, Nan leapt up off the sofa. After all you put me through, what I put you through, I couldn't stand you, I still can't. I was a good wife to you, an honest, decent woman, and you, you betrayed me. I found someone else, someone who wouldn't poke and prod and twist me round their finger, and you still took that away from me. I gave you everything. I made you everything you were. You made me miserable. You made my son's life miserable. I wish I'd had the courage to walk out of that door. Leave you behind. I wasn't going to let you go without a fight. The work I'd put into you. It was shameful, you and that tart. Don't you talk about Jillian like that. What you did to her. What you did to us. You bloody blackmailer. Well, I still can, can't I? Don't forget, I can walk over to next door right now and tell Mr. Leslie everything you and his wife got up to. And when you got up to it. I'm sure he's been wondering for years why two of his children are taller than he is. Dad pushed her and she fell back onto the sofa. It was the biggest mistake of my life to marry you. He reached onto the mantelpiece and picked up one of the silver candlesticks. You've done enough damage to enough people. I'm going to do what I never had the courage to do before and make sure you can never hurt anyone else ever again. Nan screamed and took off going faster than I would have thought she could. Dad started after her, but his bad leg held him back. Seeing her coming, I ran back into the hall and dived into the dining room. I don't think Nan saw me as she went from the kitchen and then down through the hall. Dad was growling with pain. He got through into the kitchen just as she'd reached the bottom of the stairs. Struggling with his balance, he swung his arm, knocking the glass of milk into the air and spilling the plate of cookies on the floor. I'm gonna make you pay this time! Nan screamed and started scrambling up the stairs. She made her way up pretty fast, with one hand on the banister, the other held out ahead for balance. She'd gotten nearly all the way to the top before Dad could limp to the bottom. And then, because she had her head down... She didn't see him. Max, at the top of the stairs, standing there sleepily. Nan lifted her eyes, saw him, and shrieked in surprise. She slipped, and down she went. She tumbled all the way, rolling head over heels to the bottom. She landed in a heap, right at Dad's feet. He made no reaction at first. He silently stared down at her. Then the candlestick slipped from his fingers. He took a step backwards, rubbed his eyelids and shook his head. He finally panicked and dropped to his knees. He cried out to her but she just lay there saying nothing and just twitching, twitching, twitching. Nan was being taken away by paramedics. Santa wasn't real. I'd made my brother so ill. He looked like the living dead. And I was getting a Nintendo Wii for Christmas. It was such a strange and confusing moment for me. My whole world had been shaken. But also Nintendo Wii, that that was pretty sweet. Dad was a mess, a wreck. I had an impulse to say sorry to him, but I resisted. Honesty was not the best policy. I knew better and kept my mouth shut. "'She's in a state of shock right now,' said the man from the ambulance. "'Will she be okay?' said Dad. "'She's got some broken bones,' said the paramedic. "'Her leg, obviously, but until she comes around, "'I can't be sure what else is broken or just bruised without an X-ray. "'But she's going to be all right. Her heart rate is very high. "'I don't think she's in any danger, but she's been hurt pretty bad. "'I don't know how bad yet, and she can't tell me till she's come around.' They pulled up the rails on the side of the gurney and started to move Nan out of the hall and across the threshold. You go, I'll take care of things here, Mum said. I'll call you as soon as I know what's going on, said Dad. He turned to get his coat and winced again as his legs stiffened up. You know it was her, right? Max was sitting on the bottom step, looking like his own ghost. He looked up at Dad And Dad bent down to listen. She dropped the matchbox car on the landing while she was tidying up, Max said. The one you tripped on. Grandpa knew, but she made it part of her blackmail, so he never dared to tell you. Slowly, Dad stood up straight again. What did he say? asked Mum. Dad didn't answer. He turned to face the mirror in the hallway. He was staring at his own reflection what is it mum asked he stayed silent max what did you say mum insisted max stood up and started to walk back upstairs it was hard to see but i swear i saw dad mouthing something to himself in the mirror yet he never made a sound the paramedic put his head through the front doorway She's awake and she's asking for you. Are you coming with us? Dad remained still. The paramedic was about to repeat himself when Dad reached for his coat. As he turned, he appeared less tired and more clear-eyed. He stepped across the threshold and said to Mum, You put the kids to bed, dear. And as he pulled the door closed, he added, I don't think I'll be gone for very long. Thank you for listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast and want to support what I do, please like, comment, or leave a review on any platform and subscribe to hear future releases. You can also support the show by becoming a patron and visiting patreon.com slash newghoststories. The show is written and produced by me, David Paul Nixon. If you'd like to read more from me, visit my substack, .substack newghoststories.substack.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, Threads Mastodon, Facebook, and the website formerly known as Twitter, at New Ghost Stories. Hope you enjoy the Christmas holidays. I'll see you next time on our annual New Year bonus episode.